Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, we ask ourselves, couldn't they maybe be better? I'm your host, Tony, and with me, as always, is my adventuring buddy, a firm chewer of useless gum, and the one (laughs) who truly rocks a mustache. It's me. It's Matt, everybody, and it's good to be back, Tone. Um, It's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, yeah, it's been a long while, and uh, <laughs> we're still getting some of the, the kinks out of the system. We've got new setups, some of which are not perfect, so apologies in advance for any less than stellar audio quality this time, guys. Well, hopefully we make up for it with our you know pithy and interesting banter. Oh, totally. Uh, on that note, how have you been, Matt? Uh, I've been good. Uh, not to act like we haven't seen or talked to each other since the last episode. Obviously, we've seen and spoken with each other many times since we last recorded, uh, but you know, lots been going on in the world and to be honest it's not like there's been a whole bunch of movies out there to fix for a little while so i don't i don't really feel like we've missed a whole lot but it'll be fun trying to dig into these last you know year or so and see what little gems we can work on it was sort of a good time to take a break when we did but we're back now we hope to get a few a few of these out and with that in mind go ahead and say what is the first movie we will be fixing today on this podcast Our first movie back uh, from our extended break is Uncharted. Uncharted is a film that came out from Sony Pictures. Goodness, what? Uh, earlier this year, or was it late last year? I can't even remember. It got delayed so many times because of the pandemic and all kinds of reasons. But yeah, I think it came out earlier this year. It's out on Netflix right now. That's where we watched it. Let me give you a little bit of information about it. It's directed by Ruben Flesher, who's probably best known for the original Venom movie that came out in 2018, not its sequel that was directed by Andy Serkis. He also did both of the Zombieland movies, which I really like. It stars Tom Holland in the ti- in not the title role, but the lead role as Nathan Drake. Mark Wahlberg plays Sully. We've also got Sophia Ali as Chloe and Tati Gabrielle who plays Joe. I recognized her from Sabrina on Netflix. I'm not sure if you've, you'd seen her in anything, but I really liked her. Also, An- Antonio Banderas shows up playing a villain in this movie and, you know, bringing that Antonio Banderas to the table. He's a very sexy man, yes. He is, he is. And he's puss in boots. (laughs) Yes, that was a very, uh, very actually a great surprise for that one so before we we go too much further uh should we uh, go ahead and just uh give a quick summary of what the movie's about that way if people haven't watched it they don't have to go back and watch it and then come back to the podcast yeah absolutely uh and before you do that i just want to say also that this this movie uh if you didn't already know is based on a series of playstation games by sony uh that started release in 2007 i believe there's been four ma- major installments and a couple of like minor sort of side cool games we'll, we'll get into that in a minute why don't you hit us with a, a synopsis all right i'm gonna steal this one from imdb because uh, longtime listeners will know that when we try to summarize the plot it tends to go long we yeah Totally we, both of us, definitely we. (laughs) All right, you want me to do this? Yeah, yeah, you do it. All right. Street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the house of Maconda. What starts as a heist job for the duo becomes a globe-trotting white-knuckle race to reach the prize before the ruthless Santiago Maconda. It's, who believes it's he and his family <laughs> Mancada. Not Wakanda, Mancada. <laughs> Mancada. Mancada. 
<laughs> anyway, this Mankata fella, he believes he and his family are the rightful heirs to this treasure. But if Nate and Sully can decipher the clues and solve one of the world's oldest mysteries, they stand to find five billion in treasure and perhaps even Nate's long-lost brother. But only if they can learn to work together. Through the power of friendship. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> what better power is there? So that's a that's a pretty good synopsis. Uh, as as you can tell, it's definitely kind of a classic adventure film in the style of like an Indiana Jones or a National Treasure. Uh, even like the more recent Aquaman was kind of in this genre of just like an action adventure. You know, the animated plane going around the globe. That's that's the kind of movie we were getting into here. And uh, as you said earlier, it is originally based on the video game series, which is, uh, again, also inspired by all of those kind of pulp action treasure hunting kind of stories. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to ask, like, Matt, what is your what is your experience with the Uncharted video games? Have you played at any of them? Do you like them? Do you yeah. know about them at all? Yeah, I've played a couple of them. Uh uh, one of our listeners, we'll see if he listens to this episode. If he does, hi, Ben. Uh, ben loaned me his special edition collection, Uncharted, a while back, and I played played all the way through the first one. Uh, and then I think I skipped the second game because everyone was like, the third one was so good, so I skipped and played the third one. But I know I haven't played the fourth one, which is sort of ironically what uh, where a lot of the inspiration for this movie came from, the fourth game. Uh, incidentally, also, Tom Holland has stated that the fourth game was his favorite. Yeah, I, I would agree with him. I've actually played um, all four and including the the kind of additional sequel to the fourth one. And while each game over the years slowly got better in gameplay, uh, I, I don't agree that you should skip the second one. The second one introduces uh, a character in this movie, Chloe Frazier, and uh, she's voiced in the game by the awesome Claudia Black. So, you know, that's my bias there. We do love Claudia but they're Black all great. here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but they're all great. The fourth one definitely shows a uptick in the writing quality and i am talking about the video game like that's naughty dog the company that makes these games has really done a great job exploring video games as a storytelling medium mm -hmm. and something that you can engage with not just by pushing the buttons but really feeling for what's happening uh my wife chrissy loves to watch me play both the uncharted series and the last of us series that is also made by naughty dog oh it's man i love those things. the, the mm -hmm. last of us games so much i mean talk about games that really change the change the game so to speak when it comes to storytelling in video games both you know my experience with uncharted and those last of us games are so good uh and it's worth noting that this movie is the first naughty dog film adaptation uh and they are i believe this winter we're going to be getting the hbo series the last of us based on the last of us games so naughty dog is just moving and grooving yeah, there, that's something. Uh, so bringing it back to this movie, just quick yes or no. Matt, how do you did you like the movie? Did you not like the movie overall? I mean, using the metric, did I have a good time? It was an OK movie. You know, again, it was an adventure film. Um, it reminded me a little bit of when I saw Aquaman the first time I was like, not a great movie, but, you know, I had mo more. I had mostly a good time. It's not my favorite of this genre of film, and there's quite a bit that I think you and I are going to talk about where we could see some improvement, 
but I would say I liked it slightly more than I didn't. Maybe is the the best way to phrase it. Hmm. Okay. How about you? Uh, I'm in the other camp, unfortunately. I uh, found this movie to be at best kind of stale, a bit boring. <laughs> uh, you know, long listeners of the show know that, yes, uh, we critique films, but we also want to fix them and kind of explore that criticism to help us appreciate things. So I'm not going to hate on any one person or any specific thing too hard. That's not really our jam. But I will just go ahead and, and get out of the way and say, uh, no, I did not care for this film. Uh, I kind of got bored by the end and maybe just just felt a little bit of longing that I wish I was playing one of the games. Oh, for sure. For sure. There were definitely scenes in this movie that were very reminiscent of the games and just made me think, should I just switch my PlayStation on and play the game instead of watching this movie? (laughs) Our friend Jason recently watched the movie, I think yesterday or the day before as well. And he texted me. I would have been really pissed had I seen like paid to see this in theaters. And I think that's maybe the like the best summary of my feelings. Like it's on Netflix, which I'm already paying entirely too much for. Sidebar, Netflix is $20 a month right now. When did that happen? But you know, I, I didn't have to pay extra, so to speak, to see it. So I think that's why it was just kind of okay for me. I, I do think that had I paid money, human dollars, to see this movie in theaters, I would have been a lot more disappointed in it. Fair enough. All right. I think we've, we're, we're going to come to some of the specifics of what disappointed us, but let's uh, let's take a pause. Let's clean our, clean our key and uh, talk about some things that were, that we actually didn't mind or even like enjoyed about the film. And Matt, I'm going to ask you to go first. Yeah, I'll go first because <laughs> I've actually got a few. Some of these are a little silly, but that's okay. Sometimes that that's what you can come up with. <laughs> I like any movie that has a cat in it. And the the very, very brief moment where we get to see Sully's cat that he did not want. Uh, I was into that. I do think it's worth pointing out that Antonio Banderas playing, uh, I guess, the primary antagonist. The movie sort of struggles with who the actual antagonist is. Uh, but the scenes that he's in, he's really good. He's Antonio Banderas, man. Like he just, he showed up, they gave him a script. I'm sure he like glanced at it, said, I got it and then killed it. So Antonio Banderas gets a gold sticker for this one for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. there are a couple of scenes, set pieces or action scenes that I actually thought were a lot of fun. Like there's an airship battle towards the end of the movie. And by airship, I mean, helicopter lifted pirate ships, more or less. They're not really pirate ships, but you know, painting a picture uh, and their mm-hmm. helicopters are flying these ships over the ocean and they're like literally shooting cannons at each other. And it's, it's completely absolutely ridiculous and absurd. And it's the exact sort of thing that belongs in one of these almost campy adventure films. So I, I, you know, could it have been better? A hundred percent. Was it fun? It was fun. I personally was a big fan of there's, there's a character in this movie just called the Scotsman. Um, He doesn't ever get a name. He barely gets any lines and the lines he does get are in a very thick Scrooge McDuck accent. uh, And it's a running bit in the movie that Tom Holland's character, Nathan can't understand a word that he's saying. It's whatever. I just really like him a lot. And I thought he was a good kind of mini boss. I wish he'd gotten more time, to be honest. I I think from a production design perspective, some of the sets were actually kind of neat. Some of the costumes were kind of neat. You know, you and I are we're we're familiar with how these movies are made. And we know that it's it's easy to, to be mad at a director or like a couple of actors as if they're the entire responsibility of a film. But the truth is, it takes a huge team of artists uh, and professionals to make these movie ha- movies happen. And I personally like to point out when some of those 
unsung heroes of production design and costume design showed up and did the work for a movie, even when some of the movie doesn't really work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think I would agree. I think you hit most all of my points. Uh, but just to go back, you're right about Antonio Banderas. He plays the, you know, typical, which when I say that, it's okay, because it's kind of a lot of these things are supposed to be cliche. A mm-hmm. lot of these things are supposed to be like things you're familiar with. They're like, and tropes, he really nails, the, you know, right. Right. And so I don't mind that. I don't mind that he plays the typical, you know, well, like ridiculously wealthy, like entrepreneur that wants to use his wealth to achieve more wealth to further his own like status and ambition. Like he's just evil. He's just a bad guy. There's no problem with that. It's funny you mentioned that the the movie has trouble keeping track of of who the, the core villain is. That is actually something I felt like was reminiscent of the video games usually you start with like kind of the wealthy billionaire type that's literally blasting their way through ruins and puzzles that nathan and sully are like figuring out uh only to be betrayed by kind of their you know left hand lieutenant who's the more skilled at fighting and actually is the one who maybe has some wealth but is really looking to kind of like make their mark and get big uh in some of the earlier games there's always a supernatural force that's introduced at the end yeah i was a little disappointed that that didn't uh that didn't make Mm -hmm. an appearance in some capacity in this movie I am too. I, I think the reason for that is by the fourth game, they kind of fall off that, which is fine because the fourth game was written really well and you didn't, I think it would have been in a detraction. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think for this film, we might have appreciated that. Uh, but some other things I like, uh, the character um, of Chloe, who I'd mentioned before, mm-hmm. was uh, is in this one. Uh, Chloe Frazier, by, played by Sophia Ali in this, uh, is a recurring character in the games. What's interesting is in the second game, she's introduced as a character that Nathan Drake already knows and has some sort of history with, and you're learning about that as you play the game. This kind of ties into that, saying, like, this has got to be clearly when they first meet. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. You know, you're there's some due diligence here, some understanding of past history and including characters and how they would fit in. So so that would be maybe the the one other thing that maybe that it didn't get mentioned by you that I would say I liked that, that attention to detail. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. they, they got some things right. Uh, oftentimes when we kind of do these reviews, it's did they get enough right? And I, I think mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like for you, maybe not quite enough for me. There, there are bits and pieces, you know, but I do think it's important to analyze and and, uh, review the film on its own merit in addition to as an adaptation of its source material. I'll give you that. I would say on its own merit, then it captures the goal of an Uncharted story Mm -hmm. as serving as an introduction. I think it, it definitely pulls that off. I think that's sort of the part of the turnoff for me is it was an introduction to characters I already knew and it was introducing them in a new way which you know we we all hate change <laughs> but I, if I'm being honest I think it does the job of setting up who these characters are and who they will continue to be Ugh, I just it, I don't know if it's time to get into it but there's just I, I still feel like the overall execution was not good yeah no and and the reason I bring that up is because we're about to obviously get into the bad or you know what didn't really work in this movie and I'm personally kind of struggling 
struggling a bit with, had I not known Nathan and had I not known Sully, I really still don't think I would have cared for Mark Wahlberg as Sully. But I do kind of waver back and forth on Tom Holland as Nathan. You know, I didn't like his performance in the sense that it was definitely not the Nathan that we know from the games, or at least not that I remember from the games. Did I think he did a bad job on its own merit? Like if the if this wasn't an Uncharted movie and he wasn't playing a, an established character, I don't think Tom did a bad job. I mean, I don't think he did a particularly amazing job, but I think he did fine. What, what were your thoughts mm-hmm. on on the two leads? Yeah. So Tom Holland is a good actor that mm-hmm. uh, he also kind of has a niche that he likes to fit in. And he has said this himself mm-hmm. uh, in interviews that he kind of tries to be sort of like a Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox type, which is very charismatic, very quick. Uh, and he he models a lot of his characters after that sort of uh, acting style. And he pulls it off. There's lots of talks that, you know, if they hurry up and do it, uh, Back to the Future reboot, he would just be a shoe in for Marty. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yep. Uh, as far as this Nathan Drake... It is supposed to be it is supposed to be a younger Nathan Drake that we never I think we do. He's like in his early 20s, right? Oh, in this movie. Oh, are you talking about Tom? Yeah. No, 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 no. Tom, not Tom, but Nathan. Tom yeah, looks I don't like know he could be they... anywhere from 18 to 26. So and he's probably older than all of that. So, yeah, I don't know that they I've watched it twice. And I'll be honest, I, I know there's like the early scenes where we flash back to uh, to Nathan and mm-hmm. his brother, Sam much younger like actual children or teens or tweens or whatever uh and the next time we see tom he's bartending so one would argue he's at least 21 right so probably early Mm. 20s i think is the the nathan that we're seeing so this nathan drake is not the nathan drake from the video games who is by the first game pre-established as kind of an adventurer uh do i like him yes for the most part yes i i there's already been in the video games kind of a prequel story of how Nathan met Sully and this just kind of feels like they took that it was sort of done in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade style of seeing young Indiana Jones for like the very first kind of act Mm -hmm. and they took that and just went a whole movie with it and I think that's more my problem than Tom Holland is Uh, as far as Mark Wahlberg goes uh, so you're asking if I would appreciate him as Sully if I didn't already have a preconceived conception of who Sully is. It's so hard because he's such a caricature in the games. He's this kind of loud Hawaiian shirt wearing, cigar smoking, mustache having like dude, definitely older, uh, kind of the I'm getting too old for this shite, but also, you know, thirsty for for treasure and fortune. Uh, a little bit on the less ethical side uh, than the Nathan. He, but Yeah, he, he plays in the gray, which is part yeah. of what makes him an interesting character. So it's hard to tell if I don't like Mark Wahlberg or I don't like the writing mm-hmm. because every line he has just it's so pale, you know, like I, I, it just doesn't it, it feels forced. It feels cliche. I don't know if that's Mark. It's the, maybe some of that's him, but some of me just thinks like who thought this was the way to write this character? And and that's that's more my problem. My trouble is with the writing more than the actors mm-hmm. and the choices that the characters make. I understand they have to build a trust among each other. It just seems rote by the numbers, which I've been saying the whole time, you know, well, it's an action movie where there are tropes. It's like, yes, but 
there's doing the tropes and then there's doing the tropes well when it comes time for like the buddy adventures the like the the trust and the thieving between each other that then ultimately they have to work together to succeed uh it 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 falls flat for me and i i won't go like i think just the whole thing i couldn't tell you one specific thing or i could tell you a specific thing but i would also just be quoting 95 percent of the movie and that that seems like a waste of time yeah you actually bring up one of the things that i really would have liked to have seen done differently the i mean uh, one of the big themes of this whole movie uh is trust and from the beginning of the movie everyone is identified as some sort of criminal, some sort of thief, and it's all thieves stealing from thieves. So this theme, I, I mean, I like the idea of it. It's a good theme for the movie. It's a, it's a theme that does carry over in some ways from the games because people are always turning on each other. But I did feel like in this movie, their distrust of each other went on maybe a little too long. Like they were, and I- they were very distrusting of each other in the very beginning, and Sully ends up kind of not bullying, but coercing Nathan into helping him on this mission. And then they meet Chloe. And then, so we're distrusting Chloe. And it's just like, it's, there's a lot of distrust going around. And as a viewer, I just kind of wish that Sully and Nathan had at least sort of resolved some of those trust issues a little earlier in the film so that we could have gotten more like a whole act of them really, mm-hmm. you know, in it together. So yeah. to speak. And just to add to that, I would say one of the things I didn't like in the writing is that they were constantly, you know, like sniping or jabbing at each other. It was always a very like youth versus, you know, age or wisdom. And it was a very like they're just picking on each other a lot. And it was, you know, okay, one or two jabs here, but it was almost nonstop. And it's there was never any point where the camaraderie kind of counteracted that or made it worthwhile. It was just okay, no, we have to work together. But the sniping and just the the ribbing each other over and over again, uh, yeah, it just, it, when it's going on constantly like that, it's it sort of just wears thin. And it wasn't ever good or funny, again, well, with that kind of... And I think a lot of it fell short, because, you know, so you mentioned that a lot of the, the sniping was about, like, uh, age, right? About Nathan being mm-hmm. young and Sully being an old man. But something that falls on its face for me in this whole movie is the casting of Mark Wahlberg, not not even on merits as an actor. You know, like we can set aside the fact that, you know, Mark Wahlberg may or may not be a great actor. Who knows? But casting him in this role and then writing Sully as an older character is... It just is weird. The scenes about him being an old man, Mark Wahlberg, I mean, he is, I think, in his late 40s, maybe 50s. He he is getting up there, but he's like jacked, right? And Mm -hmm. he looks so youthful. So there's lines in this movie that don't land. They don't make him look old in this movie. They do him up and dress up his hair like he's any other Hollywood star. All right. He was born in 71. So, yeah, he's in his 50s. But he's I mean, dude, people can look good in their 50s. I hope yeah, I look that he's good a in great my 50s. example of that. But it doesn't work for this character to me. So going back to that rooftop chase that I think was in Istanbul. But again, I've forgotten where all these scenes took place. Nathan and Sully are chasing down Chloe, who has just um uh, sleight of hand taken one of the like artifacts from Nathan, right? So they're chasing her down mm-hmm. on this rooftop and they run into each other. And there's like a bit where uh, Nathan's like, keep up old man. And Sully's like, you know, I can't keep up. I got a bad ankle. And I'm like, that just, that, that banter doesn't work mm-hmm. because 
he doesn't seem like someone who has a bad ankle. You know what I mean? Like it would have been funnier right. if it was like a more traditional looking, like middle-aged kind of out of shape guy kind of huffing and puffing like, Oh, you go on. You, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll catch up. Like, I just think casting Mark Wahlberg, the, the physicality of Mark Wahlberg was a misstep for Sully. Again, putting aside mm-hmm. his like acting ability, the physicality just doesn't work for who Sully is. No, I think you nailed it. Uh, I do want to go back and say one thing I did like, because uh, you mentioned the plot device that Chloe steals. Um, that cross or the dual crosses that they have to use in all the games, there's always some sort of device or artifact that they use to solve puzzles and get further towards the core treasure. And you know, you already said props to the design team, but that prop was really good looking and really fun. It had a very, um, like the Cross of Coronado in Last Crusade kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just big and gl- shiny and fun. And that... I, I just liked that. I liked it. it kind of had like some sort of like morphing bits to it. And and so that was fun. And then they got to use it to go through the puzzles and, and the trap rooms. But then the trap rooms were sort of, I mean, all of that was really dark, wasn't it? Was that just me? Like, was it our TV? You mean it like just, aesthetically dark? Really, um, yeah. I didn't find it overly dark. And yeah, I'm super sensitive to that. I was just talking to my barber the other day about that one episode in the last season of Game of Thrones where you couldn't see anything at all because it was so dark. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember some of those like catacomb scenes being a little dark, but I, I never thought I can't see what's going on here. Well, is there... Well, 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 well. well is well, there anything... Well. <laughs> there there are a couple other things we talked about ahead of time that you've, you've mentioned that I feel like we should bring up as far as the bad, and then I think we should move forward. But but there was uh, some really terrible product placement in here, wasn't there? Oh, man. Oh, man. So product placement is one of those weird, sometimes necessary evils in the art and science of filmmaking and television and, and all that, right? We get sometimes that these things take money to make, and sometimes you got to go and you got to beg for money for people, and they're going to ask you to do things that maybe aren't the most artistic thing, right? There are better examples of product placement in history. You know, the one that always comes to mind is the Reese's Pieces and E.T. You know, Spielberg got that in, and it, it works in the plot. It doesn't necessarily feel like a product placement because it's a part of the storyline. Uh, this movie, however, goodness gracious, I would love to know how much Papa John's paid to have an entire elaborate fight scene in a Papa John's in, are they in Italy? Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. They're in Italy, right. In this beautiful, you know, this beautiful country, this beautiful old city. And we end up in a Papa John's inexplicably because that's where this other second key has to go. And there's this urgency because obviously Nathan and Chloe are down in the sewers about to drown. If Sully can't get this key in this like old, like a, uh, ruin of a wall that's it's like behi- a mural. Yeah, it's yeah. like a mural, but it's behind glass in the largest Papa John's I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I I can't even I I wanted it to be even sillier. Like if I'm going to have to watch this, I wish it had been sillier. Like I wanted there to be a moment where 
they're in the middle of this fight and they end up back in the kitchen and Sully just starts throwing toppings at Joe and he just screams the slogan, better ingredients, better pizza, and then grabs like a pizza paddle (laughs) and knocks her unconscious and says, Papa John's, right? I kind of wish it had just been even more ridiculous than it was if we were going to have to watch it. If you're going to be... If you're going to be that obvious, it is not the time to play it straight it is the time to tongue in cheek it. And instead, it just became like they could have they were playing it like they could have been in any restaurant. It's just this one very loudly screamed like neon Papa John's everywhere. Well, and he even screams it. He even says, I'm in a Papa John's. Like, (laughs) I I half expected him to be like, I'm in a Papa John's and then look to camera and be like the best pizza I've ever had. We just need Shaquille O'Neal doing a cameo and we'll be fit. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I get that product placement happens. That's that's why you see so many iPhones and things. That's why you see, you know, giant Nike swooshes like I get it. It happens. But there are absolutely better ways to do product placement. And this was just it was just hilarious. It, It was hilariously bad. I couldn't believe it was happening the first time we watched this. Yeah, laughable in the you can't believe it way, not in the this is fun and enjoyable way. Yeah. But, you know, it again, I get that it's a part of the process and it was just something they didn't quite get right in this movie. I think if they were going to do a, a Papa John's product placement, it would have made more sense to do it. I don't know, not here uh, and not like mm-hmm. this. Yeah, I could. You know, let's do that. Let's like make a mental note to figure out where to put in the Papa John's uh product placement and it's still got to be you know just as large because we still want to get that money yeah we're gonna craft a better papa product placement i mean i still like yours where he runs and hits her with a pizza like well you and i uh, talked about this a lot like if you're gonna do something silly in a movie sometimes you just gotta really make it silly so that it's clear that everyone's Mm -hmm. in on the joke you know in this instance Mm -hmm. it's like they almost tried to seriously put this whole thing in a Papa John's and it doesn't work because it feels like they're trying. They, they played it straight and this was, it just did not land because it also that scene is just like the, the set is so starkly different than everything else in the movie, including what, what else is happening. And so it's just so like jarringly taking you, you out of it. So if we're going to do it, also, do these Papa John's exist? Are there Papa John's in other countries that, have like gigantic dining rooms. Is this Do a you thing? You want to give me just a second to Google that? Yeah, because I'm genuinely curious. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when we were younger, going to Pizza Huts that had like actual restaurants, and you'd order a pizza and they'd bring it to the table, and you'd you'd have a you'd have a slice. And I just I've never seen a Papa John's. I think I've maybe seen a Papa John's that has like one or two little dining tables. But I've never seen one with a full-fledged dining room. And I struggle right. to believe that that exists in Rome or wherever ex- <laughs> they were. All right. So first thing I looked at, there are over 2,000 Papa John's franchises outside of the U.S., according to Google and Business Wire. What's the largest Papa John's location? Ah, I don't know. This this is getting... Now they're talking about their pizza sizes. Uh, I've seen... <laughs> You I've can seen tell a lot about large... a man by the size of his pizza. <laughs> uh, I'll say this quickly. I've, I think we've spent way too much time uh, plugging Papa John's on our non-funded Yeah, I hesitated uh, to even mention this scene in, fair, in, in fear of actually giving them even more airtime. <laughs> 
But but just for the record, I have seen Papa John's locations that are more than just a couple tables and carry out. Not that large. I'm assuming that was a set that was made to be larger so that they could, you know, film in the space. You mean that actual mural wasn't in a real Papa John's? That he could put that key in after he shot it with his gun? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. You're right. Now that you say it out loud, I'm starting to question everything. Well, you know, question everything, ma'am. Well, speaking of questioning, um, I mean, unless that you want to talk about some more stuff that didn't really work, I, I would love to jump to talking about what we'd love to change in this movie. All right. No, I, I like that question. Let's let's jump on ahead to the how do we want to fix this? Well, actually, l- let me say this. One of the things we do here at Movie Fixers, and I think we need to refresh it because it's been a bit, is traditionally we try to maintain the structural integrity of uh, of a film. Sort of like if, you know, like the pun of our podcast is like, like home remodeler shows where, okay, you're going to remodel the home, but it's still got to be the home, right? Like you can't just tear down the if foundation this was house fixers the the fix mm-hmm. every episode wouldn't be tear the entire house down and build a new house because that's not fixing a house that's just replacing a house we're not here to replace a movie we're here to try and fix mm-hmm. a movie and maintain as much of the essence of the original as possible uh, while improving upon it with some decided changes then what i would like to s- present as the structural foundation of this movie is a it's a treasure hunt movie mm-hmm. with you know lots of grandiose scenes of puzzle solving and action shoot 'em ups and you know the hunt for really big treasure i think that's that's a key component of this film yeah and there's got to be think- clues along the way there's got to be globe trotting because that's just how it works Mm -hmm. Uh, with this being an adaptation of an existing work. um, I think we would need to maintain that integrity as well. It would still need to be based on the games uh, in some capacity. The characters would need to more or less be the same characters Mm -hmm. in order for this to still say the same movie. Even though it's not my favorite, I think this movie is deliberately trying to be an origin story for people who don't know the games. And even though I know it and I'm not as worried about that, it's important to remember that we're introducing this story or these characters to a a, a new audience. So the idea is, is that we're trying to launch a franchise successfully. I think because while video games are probably as popular as they've ever been since their creation, there's still quite a lot of people that don't play video games. So you can't expect a lot of the people going to see this movie have seen the game. So you you do have to present the material, the characters, the story to a lot of your audience as if it's brand new, because for them, it probably is brand new. So keeping with all of that, what's the wildest idea we could do and still like, like I just want to go big first and then maybe kind of pare it down. So this is a fountain we've uh, we've certainly drank from multiple times in the history of this <laughs> podcast, but it's it's always fun. Uh, and, you know, I have a good time with it. Sometimes I think the best way to fix a movie is to just make it a musical. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. We all know this is the Matt Goad go-to solution, make it a musical. And I have honestly just come to accept this as part of our process. Well, so, Matt, please <laughs> tell us t- tell us your musical version of Uncharted, the story of Nate and Sully coming together as friends. Yeah, so I, I, I really do think most things are better as a musical. That's a personal preference. I know it's not, you know, categorical truth, but I just like it. But I really do think... Like joking aside, oftentimes when we see a movie 
that struggles from tone issues of of maybe being a little over the top sometimes when maybe it shouldn't be. It's it's so easy for me to jump to well if this was in a if this thing right now was happening in a musical or if this line of dialogue was happening in a musical if this particular actor's performance was happening in a musical I wouldn't find it as weird because musicals are so elevated and so over the top and exaggerated anyways that some of the stuff you can just get away with in a musical. Um, am I saying I that they should have made Uncharted a musical? I mean, personally, for me, you know, if, if I had that Bezos money and I was financing it, it would have been a musical. But no, I don't think making it a musical is the actual answer. But I did, uh, in my second watch of this, notate a few song titles that if I were turning this into a musical, uh, these are some songs that I would want to work with my composer to make happen. Do you, you want to hear my, my list? All right. Go ahead and lay down for us the soundtrack of Uncharted 2022, the musical. So this isn't an exhaustive, li- exhaustive list, uh, but <laughs> I ended up coming up with a lot more songs than I meant to. Uh, I think it w- we're going to open with just an adventure medley. Uh, it's almost like a prologue. There may not even be a lot of sung music for this, but I think that we'd want to musically reference uh, like Indiana Jones and National Treasure, other movies in this genre to just sort of set the stage for the show that we're about to watch. Um, I really think that our next song is going to be uh, a duet called Trust Issues, and it's going to be it, it's going to be after <laughs> the scene with Sam and Nathan as kids. It's going to be really when we first meet Sully, and they're going to sing this duet called Trust Issues. It's really going to outline who they are as characters uh, and why they don't trust each other. Uh, once gotcha. we get to the gala slash auction, I they they're clearly referencing. True Lies, which is an amazing movie. If, if you guys are listening and you haven't seen it, it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, absolutely incredible spy film. Uh, there's a whole scene that they're, I think, clearly referencing a whole dance sequence in that movie. Uh, and I think it'd be fun to have a song here called El Tango de Betrayal. Uh, and it's really outlining all these these characters, the, the multiple antagonists that we've already mentioned, what their, their villain song, you know, what they're looking for, um, and why, again, none of them trust each other, because trust issues is an ongoing theme. Uh, I think Chloe needs her own song. We're just going to call it I Work Alone or Chloe's Song, uh, and it's going to be just a center stage you know, single spotlight, her talking about why she's a lone wolf, why she works by herself. That- that's really good. We might need to TM that one real quick. Yeah, I work alone. Chloe's song. I'm going to go ahead and get all TM. these uh, trademarked. Uh, working through, there's going to be some more songs I didn't get to, but uh, the the big falling sequence where they're falling out of the back of the plane is an awesome time to have a musical number uh, where uh, Nathan is singing about falling and about falling maybe even a little bit. Because uh, in the IMDb trivia, I noticed that Originally, they wanted to have a little bit of a romance connection between Nathan and Chloe. Uh, They ultimately Mm -hmm. ditched it because they thought it was distracting. I'll be honest, I kind of wish there was a little bit, not a lot, mind you, but I kind of wish there'd been a little bit for this movie. This is a rare example of a movie where I think it could have benefited from a little bit more heart. Because it's a trope. It's a missed trope. Yeah. I think you and I have both agreed that a big thing this movie is missing is just some like heart. It's missing Mm -hmm. you really like walking away from this movie and really thinking fondly about these characters and, you know, what happened to them. 
And I think that adding that back in would be good. And this would be a moment for him to sing about falling with the double entendre of physically falling, but also maybe falling a little bit for Chloe. Uh, also, this would be a great moment for the Scotsman to get a verse because I just want him to have one in his beautiful accent. <laughs> uh, Lost and Found is going to be a dual uh, a dual reveal song where he where he f- discovers the treasure location after like putting together all the uh, oh wait no that's later sorry he discovers where they're going for the treasure but also finds out the truth about his brother Sam uh, we're gonna have mm-hmm. an El Tango de Betrayal reprie where Mancata after he dies I think <laughs> in after he dies as a corpse is gonna sing a reprie to his earlier song. Uh, putting it together is going to be a duet between Chloe and Nathan, where they're acknowledging their feelings for each other, putting it together while also assembling all these postcards and learning the like final location from his brother, Sam, through these postcards. And then we're going to end the film on a on a ballad called The Real Treasure, you know, friendship, which the friendship they made along the way was the real treasure. And I think this is going to be an amazing musical. It comes out on Broadway in 2027. Oh, wow. I mean, you, you definitely have it all there. Uh, I know I said that you're going to have to bring this every episode, but I don't know if uh, that's really going to increase the runtime of all of our episodes. I, I probably shouldn't challenge you to do this again. You know what? I'll get, I'll get better at working through them faster. I was really <laughs> pleased with the, the, the set list I came up with. I do have a, a real fix, I, I should say, for this movie, but I'm curious, you know, what are your initial thoughts on on what we could tweak to better this film? Well, the first thing I would do is bring in some of uh, the writers for the video games and say, hey, can you take these stories that you've written and maybe put them together as a new intro story? And I wouldn't even have to specify it's for a movie, because if you play the video games, they very much play their story parts, their, the scripted points, like a movie. I feel like there was a lot of talent in Naughty Dog that got ignored for talent that was elsewise maybe just because they have the experience maybe have someone there to kind of coach writers for video games because i know there there is difference like hey you're writing this but we need it to kind of fit in this sort of pacing this sort of beat but even just the dialogue mm-hmm. my goodness people who knew these characters and could come back to these characters because i just cannot believe how flat these just larger than life especially the main characters nathan and sully like come on like i just really want to get that talent in there and naughty dog's a big enough studio i feel i feel like it's strange that sony kind of just didn't use them for more than than they did and so so it's like go to the the well you know the well 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 and and of naughty dog and grab that talent and pay that talent because they've worked hard on this stuff there's a lot of directors and and writers and creators from those games that i think were just so well equipped and not utilized this movie did have a handful of credited writers and story buys and something you and I have talked about a lot with other movies is sometimes when you get too many cooks in the kitchen, especially when it comes to writers, the movie ultimately suffers. You know, there's obviously exceptions to that. But in general, we find that movies that have one, maybe two credited writers have a more clear uh, voice and direction for the film. And I think you look at who worked on this. It's a bunch of people that worked in television, which is no knock on television. Mind you, some some television nowadays especially is better than most movies coming out. Their work history is not overly impressive. And correct, none of the none of the work writers from the games worked on this movie. One could theorize that it's because they're being used to work on 
Uncharted, what, five, six, whatever one we're on now. Point. So maybe Good that's point. why they weren't involved. I think the real reason is this has been in development for years and years and years and years and probably went through multiple scripts and multiple writers and it definitely went through multiple directors uh it went through mm -hmm. multiple casts so th i think this is just one of those movies that took so long to get here that it lost its soul along the way yeah and i'm sure that sony's you know you know production studios the execs had their expectations and their needs that had to be met so you know like I, I am kind of creating like a well if we had unlimited resources and the best talent maybe that's that's not a good enough fix so here, here's what i'll say then i'll say we we really need to remodel the relationship between the two main characters i agree i think chloe needs to be a part of that but still kind of like an outlier part i i think you know like the potential romance there but that's not really happening right now it's really about these two buddies and and you know i don't want to say bromance because it's kind of overplayed but definitely like a friendship that we just didn't see happen yeah their chemistry was not was not mm -hmm. very well developed and it really is the crux of this movie for sure and the games in a lot of ways, you've got to get that chemistry right. If you can't get those ingredients and that bake, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Here you go. If you <laughs> oh, can't it get you it, it back. If you can't get that's, it right. That's the fix. That's the fix. You've just done it. Sully and Nathan at one point are making a Papa John's pizza together. Like they break into a Papa John's. They're hiding out. They need to eat. And they're arguing at first, but they come together because they make a Papa John's pizza, like breaking into the ingredients together. And they form their like their first like notch in their friendship together building a papa john's pizza like how ridiculous is that and how like now we finally get like a positive moment that we can't take out of the film because it's going to be like the crux that like lands all of their other successes i i love this so much i i honestly had this moment happened in this movie one single tear would have gone down my face i would have been like at least they've got this they've got this bond they're developing this friendship that, again, is mm -hmm. part of what makes the game so good is you love their friendship. You love their relationship. At the end of the day, at the end of the movie, the credits roll, and we didn't get that. We didn't really get that bond solidified to where we're, like, mm -hmm. ready for another movie with these two, you know, wackadoos. I think they tried to do that or they attempted that very poorly in the after credit scene, which we've sort of avoided. It was it was just a mess. I'm going to just tell you right now, I didn't even when I watched the movie the second time, I didn't even stick around for the after credit scene. I didn't really want to watch it again. Yeah, I mean, audience, there's an after credit scene that kind of puts Sully with a mustache because that's a big like facial feature on the video game character, even though it doesn't look great on Mark Wahlberg. Nope. And it it sort of sets them up as how having a little bit more rapport and going after another treasure and right as they're about to get away from some people they just swiped a clue from uh they stop suddenly because something in front of them that's off camera has like shocked them and we have no idea what that is because we're supposed to want to come back for the next film to see yeah, it. Yeah, I'm assuming it's his brother. Like I think that's what they're going for, but again, that's another it, thing that wasn't overly well developed like the whole movie you know he's trying to figure out the tr you know he assumes that his brother was killed then he finds out that his brother wasn't killed and his brother had sent him all these postcards which end up being kind of the key to the final clue and as the movie goes along there's these bits where he's like looking at his postcards and he hears his brother's voice in his head like reading the postcards mm -hmm. to him 
And it never quite really solidifies their relationship either. There's, I don't know, there's a lot of stakes that aren't set up well in this movie. And going back to the Sully and Nathan, there were moments that they definitely tried. You know, you mentioned the after credit scene, but one that I, I liked, it was just not as good as I wanted it to be was early on when they're planning to go to this, uh, this heist, right. To go to this auction, to get the cross. Uh, he Sully, I guess, texts Nathan and says, let me know what you need to do the job. And he's like, I need some sharp metal shears and something else and a cat. And then you find out mm-hmm. later that the cat was for Sully. Like he had Sully get a cat for himself because he's lonely. And again, it's like, it was a fun idea that someone clearly had in the writer's room and it just wasn't executed that well. Like I wish the cat had like, that had been more of a thing, I guess. I don't know. They tried. They just didn't land it, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so the first thing you said, one of the things in our fix should be kind of some clearer, doesn't have to be resolution, but setup of the stakes. If we're not going to find out exactly what's going on with Nathan's brother in this movie, we need to like establish that it's still a mystery. Be really clear about that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of going to be Nathan's driving uh, motivation going forward. Uh, something else in general... I would fix is I would make Sully a bit more competent. You you pointed out how like, you know, there's the scene where they're running and he's just not very helpful. And there's a scene where they're trapped in the well waiting for him to complete the other part of the puzzle. And it he just sort of seemed like a liability who just happened to be, you know, like centered around all of these pieces enough that he could influence them. Well, that's definitely part of who he is. In the games, he's not useless. Part of the reason they stay together as treasure hunters is while he's not the, you know, ripped climbing all the puzzle pieces and jumping around doing all the swashbuckling, he's the guy who's there when you need him to give you an exit or give you the MacGuffin or just kind of like push the, you know, push the odds in your favor a little bit more. And I just don't think we got enough of that. I'm not saying he never did anything useful, but I think this. Well, I mean, he pilots the helicopter there at the end, which I thought was a very Sully Mm -hmm. thing. Like that's something that fully would have happened in the games. Agreed. I just think we needed more of that because I think the, the joke that he was a bumbling old guy, which doesn't land because it's Mark Wahlberg just doesn't land as far as I think what makes, what makes it funnier and more interesting in the games is like, he's portrayed as this like middle to later aged heavy set, you know, mustache, cigar smoking. Like he's portrayed as someone who you wouldn't really expect to necessarily be, you know, pretty adept and, you know, useful and is constantly surprising you as a viewer and a, and a game player mm-hmm. as being surprising and useful. And I think it just, I, I don't know. It just, I feel like we got the opposite in the movie. We got Mark Wahlberg who, you know, objectively looks like, someone who would be pretty competent as far as like physicality and doing things like that. And then ends up not being that like we got like the reverse of it in the movie. And the why of it is I've got a bad ankle or, you know, he's just making excuses. It's yeah. It just never really like, even if he was just feeding Nathan, like the extra bit of information or kind of, you know, like in the games, like Nathan solves the puzzles, but sometimes Sully like has an idea or something that's like spawns that spark of inspiration. Like where is his usefulness other than he kind of started with everything and is now kind of manipulating his pieces to stay in it. And I just, I don't know. That makes him not as likable and we're supposed to like this character, but something else that makes him not as likable we've talked about is just no offense, Mark, you weren't, 
the person we would have cast for this. So I think before we finish fixing this up, I think we've got to at least explore the idea of who else would you cast as Victor Sullivan instead of Mark Wahlberg? So I've got a couple ideas. The first one that comes to mind, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this a little, like the actor from that does the voice of Sully in the games would actually look great in the part. He's probably a little older, I think, than what they wanted for the character in the movie, which makes me think of another actor. I think J.K. Simmons would have been really great in this role, although maybe a little older than they really wanted if they're wanting to like backdate these characters so that they could set up a whole IP and a whole film series. But I I do think J.K. Simmons would have been a great one. I just want to say the first actor you were talking about was Richard McGonagall, Mm -hmm. and uh, he does the voice of Victor Sullivan. No relation to Professor McGonagall. No, not that I know of. Uh, I don't know. There might be. Uh, But yeah, he does the voice of Victor Sullivan in the video games. And there was a time uh, you can see all sorts of like uh, podcasts and video interviews uh, that all of the voice actors from those games have done. And he had the look. He had the the stash and everything. Uh, He's very, very gray haired. uh, uh, which is awesome, and I think you're right. I think he he would do a great Sully in current game mode. Uh, starting early, I think you're right. We can't do like a perfect Sully for you know recreating any of the current Uncharted uh, timeline. More just starting fresh and starting new franchise. So who would you who would I have you go a really to? great idea for this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a good time to point out that a few years ago. Uh, There was a very well-produced fan film for Uncharted where Nathan Fillion plays Nathan Drake. It was not an officially sanctioned movie. It wasn't released in theaters. I think the whole thing was like maybe 11, 12 minutes long, but it's It's totally worth watching. Yeah, it's great. If anyone out there is Mm -hmm. interested, I think you can just probably Google like Uncharted Nathan Fillion fan film. But it just gave me this really fantastic idea. What if Nathan Fillion had played Sully? Okay, so that's funny. So what I was going to say was something similar. I think that's a great idea because my suggestion was going to be, what if Nolan North, who does the voice of Nathan Drake in the games, uh, who at one time, again, also when he first started it, looked like he could have been an actor that matched the Nathan Drake in the video games. I think both him and uh, Richard McGonagall were kind of considered for as a character models because they they do look similar to their characters yeah, especially, especially back in 2007 started. 2006 whenever they were and working when on this they they definitely they're practicing were visual inspiration motion capture and getting references yeah they they were also a bit of a visual reference and so i think i think yeah like what if nolan north then were to do an earlier sully because his who, who is in this movie ca- right yeah he, he does have a cameo on the beach when they when they finish falling out of an airplane and getting out of the water, uh, out of the the vast ocean, and, and wind up on a beach uh, in some nice resort. The first uh, person they run into is Nolan North, who again voices Nathan Drake in the video games. He goes, "What happened to you?" And <laughs> they explain. He goes, "Oh, something like that happened to me once." Because that scene from the cargo plane where they're hanging on to the cargo pallets and then fall and then have to like pop the parachute on one that is directly taken from Uncharted Three. It is their iconic action scene from that game. Every game has one. It's awesome. Yeah, so that was that's my suggestion is Nolan North. I feel like he's a really obvious choice and very talented. He he he's done a lot of other voices and a lot of other video games and animated things. I, I can't list them all, uh, but he's he's got a range and yeah. we don't see him really do live action acting, but I 
I believe he's he's got the chops. So two obvious ones, Nathan Fillion, uh, Nolan North. Do you think we're going to get any better than that? I feel like that's a lot of talent that we're. I don't think you can say the, the sentence Nathan Fillion, Nolan North. Do you think we're going to get better than that? Like I, <laughs> I think you just answered your own question. <laughs> touche, good friend. Touche. Uh, I do actually have a fix for this movie that I'm pretty excited about, uh, like an actual fix that I think would have made a big difference in the overall experience of the movie. I think when you and I watched this movie together the first time, I remarked at one point that there were a lot of there was a lot of this movie that felt like an early mid 2000s action film, kind of in the vein of the early Resident Evil or Fast and Furious movies. And when I was watching it the second time through, I was, you know, reading trivia about this movie, reading trivia about the games, you know, when they came out and thought about the fact that the original game came out in 2007. So it was arguably set around that time because it wasn't really set in the past or the future. It was set in whatever the present was when that game came out. Right. I actually Mm -hmm. think something that this movie would have benefited from would be setting the film in 2007. 2007 is 15 years ago. It's, it's, you know, we're going on 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. that nostalgia is something that a lot of things, Stranger Things, um, like the series Stranger Things, uh, are really capitalizing on right now. As, as kind of meh as the Wonder Woman sequel was, some of the best bits were sort of the throwbacks to the 80s, 90s. And I do think that had they set this movie in the mid-2000s, like when the first game had been released, had they taken advantage of music and fashion and like what cell phones we had at that time, I think it would have brought a charm and nostalgia that this movie was really lacking. And I I don't know. I don't think it would have necessarily fixed the whole movie, but it certainly would have made a very enjoyable experience. I'll say this for it, because it's funny, your examples of movies from that era are movies that I feel like need to be on this podcast, but um, (laughs) the... uh, Yeah, but there's a difference making a movie now that's sort of throwing back to that and like referencing it and sort of poking fun of it. That that's a totally different beast. I'll give you that. You're right. And I will also add that one other positive that could give you is they sort of leaned heavy on like lots of extreme future tech in this, from the the flying choppers to like the cell phones and the earpieces that that and the tracking that just sort of Those earpieces constantly are so worked. stupid. Yep. And they just sort of MacGuffin them into doing the next thing. Like having to have them work harder at some more basic things where I mean, you weren't technologically a dinosaur in 2007 but there is a difference and and i think maybe even like calling that out especially from such a small time gap would be like add a little bit of intrigue and really play up that nostalgia you're going for so so i'll give you that that is uh retroing the the film would have uh would have been one way to remodel it and i i think it's a legitimate fix and maybe something we should consider Maybe not for all of these, but definitely for more of our our movie fixes, like going back to a simpler time. Yeah, especially, you know, you the what really made me think of this at first was those really dumb scenes in this movie where, you know, he keeps grabbing Sully's phone and just like tapping it really hard and then being like, see, now we're tracking each other. And like the technology is just sort of stupid and feels it doesn't even feel very modern. It actually feels a little old in some ways. 
And I feel like if had they really leaned into that and he'd had instead of this like sort of a well, I'm sure it was some sort of Sony device because it's a Sony film. Uh, but it's sort right. of some sort of Sony touchscreen modern phone that has a really weird GPS tracking interface. Had they had like old, older like flip phones or like early iPhones, and then also had to have like a GPS device, and it just it would have created some more of those stakes that we talked about earlier because no one ever really seems in danger in this movie, not just in mortal danger, but in danger of not accomplishing their goals you know everything just sort of happens not for long yeah no i think you're right i think uh i think that's that's all i've got as far as a a fix for this one what about you so again as much as i'd love it to be a musical i realize that not every movie can just be a musical that's just a, a dream i'll have to keep dreaming myself but i do think that the these two main or three let's say three main fixes Bring someone over that worked on the games, if anything, just to do kind of a dialogue polish, because it could really use it. Sorry, Mark, but recasting Mark in a more appropriate actor. Uh, We've listed a couple. I'm sure there's even more. I think the main thing is just get away from this, like, jacked Mark Wahlberg character that doesn't look his age at all and give us someone who looks a little more age appropriate uh, and physicality appropriate for this character. And then, like I said, I do think that setting this in 2007, setting this, you know, 15 years ago would actually bring a really fun element to the movie. It would sort of solve some of our, uh, our stake issues with the film. And it's, it's just such a great thing to capitalize on nowadays. People love to watch movies and relive some nostalgia and, you know, think about there, there are, you know, kids quote unquote that are grown people now that would look back at 2017 as like or sorry 2007 is their childhood you know even that mm-hmm. for us is not true but there are people and they would be like oh this is cool this is like from my childhood and mm-hmm. it would just bring in this whole audience that i think would be really fun and there you have it all so right here's an interesting thought matt yeah um if, if anyone wants to tell us what they think about any of the things they said, is that even possible anymore? Because I'm pretty much off all of social media. Yeah, I also am off of social media. Um, uh, we do still have yeah, an active is. email for this podcast. I believe it's just Matt and Tony movie fixers at gmail.com. But if anybody wants to send us a message, like I said, you can send us an email, which feels very archaic right now. But Matt and Tony movie fixers at gmail.com. Uh, okay. Yeah. And we'll work on trying to put something else together because, you know, we've got a very limited listener base and I feel comfortable allowing that listener base to talk to us more directly because that, that just makes everything more fun. Absolutely. All right, Tom, this has been a blast. I can't wait to talk about our next movie. Uh, still want to give a big shout out to just everyone uh, who helps make this happen for us, uh, specifically my, for me, my wife, Chrissy, and just all the support uh, you listeners who are still listening to us for some reason give us because while I think we would do this if no one was listening, Matt, I definitely love doing it knowing that someone else is. So thank you all so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks anyone that's listening to this, um, even if you're not Tony. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Absolutely. I'll talk to you next time. See you next time. Bye.